He says this, you are the Christ, the Son of God. What came out of his mouth was not what is coming out of my mouth, of the, my son's mouth right now at six-year-old in, in the room while Mike and Cynthia teach him. What happened to Peter was he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Jesus responds with an emphatic praise of rejoicing. He goes on to say, Peter on this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. He says, I will give you the kings to the kingdom of heaven. Then Jesus tells his disciples, I must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and the third day be raised. So then we see Peter speak up again right after pronouncing Jesus as the son of God, the Christ. He says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you. Lord, this shall never happen to you. We can't put it past Peter that he was looking to Jesus to be that earthly hero and ruler. He is only looking at Jesus to be his, their temporal leader who would rule and conquer their oppressions, the Romans. Peter is immature in his knowledge of Christ, but growing aggressively to understand him more and who he truly is to be in Peter's life. Peter, Jesus says, get behind me. And he, and he literally calls him, he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus would not allow Satan to thwart his father's plan. He says, I have come to do my Father's will, to conquer sin and death, to restore a people to myself. Satan's motive and plan was to keep Jesus away from the cross. It is not by coincidence that Jesus responded the way he did to Peter. Remember Jesus in the desert. We cannot forget that moment when he was attempted by Satan in three ways, but one being specifically this, the devil Matthew 4, 8, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall not worship the Lord your God and him only. For you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Peter in his weakness He allowed himself to fall into the temptation from Satan and join him in an attempt to stop God's plan. But I love this point in Jesus' teaching we see in verse 23 of chapter 16. But But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance for me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. He rebukes Peter. But he doesn't look at Peter and say, You possess demon... Cursed be you, and then takes that demonic spirit and puts him in a herd of pigs. Like, praise Jesus, that's not how he treated Peter. But Peter was chosen by God and whom God would use to help build his church. He began to teach and guide him back into himself. Brothers and sisters, this is a beautiful relationship you and I have with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. His word rebukes and graciously teaches and points us back to him. Jesus was not surprised by Peter's response. 
He expected it, knew it was coming. So Jesus is pronouncing the coming of his kingdom to his disciples. I must die and rise and live so you may be able to die and rise and live with me. This is not a campfire moment. We must understand this. This was not a campfire moment, a holy huddle, or a secret meeting that Jesus was having with his disciples. They are in one of the most perverted and demonic places of their time. They are at the mecca of sexual immorality and perversion. Jesus came to earth in Caesarea Philippi with a sword. He had come to set people apart. Listen to what Jesus said earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. For I have come to set man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemy will be those of his own household. And whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. A Judeo-Christian teacher, Ray Vanderland, believed Jesus wanted others to hear his pronouncement to the disciples and to others who would come after him. He said Jesus turned and looked at the crowds and shouted today's sermon text at the idol worshipers of Pan, the fertility god. We see, receive confirmation from what Vanderland is saying because in Mark and Luke's gospel, these two ter- parallel texts, he specific, uh, uh, Mark's gospel says, and he said to all. And then in Luke's gospel, he says, and calling the crowds to him with his disciples. This was not a message that only the disciples were to hear. Some would say, historians would say that over 100,000 people would make a trek to uh, Mount Hermon in Caesarea Philippi to make offerings to Pan, the fertility, fertility god. This was not Alvatin. This is not Plano. This is a place that people knew about. And Jesus went directly in to, to what these worshipers of Pan would say, to the gates of hell. So let's read the text as I believe Paul, as, as Jesus was to read it. Imagine, I want you to close your eyes and imagine Jesus, not just talking to his disciples, but he is shouting. Now, I'm not going to shout. Because if I shout, it's going to get really loud. And my wife's going to hear me. My wife's homesick. Well, she's not sick. My kid's sick. So, but he says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If any one of you, any of you would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? 
Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Jesus has just pronounced the call of discipleship. So what is he saying to his disciples and these idol worshipers of Pan God and to us this morning? We're going to spend time walking through these five verses to better understand the call of discipleship upon you and I's life. But also where we find the confidence in knowing that we can we can not be able to live this life on our own, but be able to live this life with God's help through Christ our Lord, and we can wait in great expectation of our reward. So Jesus says this. He begins by saying, who would come after me? Which one of you would come after me? If you are going to come after me, there are three things I'm telling you. You must deny yourself. You must take up your cross and follow me. It wasn't hard for me to come up with three points for this sermon this morning. Because they're right there, right? I had to come up with a catchy phrase. All I had to say was what the text says. Thank you, Jesus, because I'm not a very creative person. So we will very carefully walk through each of these and consider the implications upon our lives this morning. Deny yourself. I don't know about you, but if a pastor is looking for a way to reduce his attendance in numbers, this, this might be the best text to go with. Just think about it. Thank you for being with us here today as a visitor. We just want you to know how much God wants you to deny yourself. That's right. This world was not made so you can indulge, be entertained, and have a pastor talk sweet nothings into your ear about how good of a person you are. Also, we want you to pick up your cross. Basically, be willing to leave here and die today for Jesus' sake and follow him. Closing song, dismissal, not many people coming back. So that's what we're going to do today. <laughs> we are going to look at this text and try to discern what is Jesus calling us to do. But why why say all that? People claiming to be a Christian have attempted to create, I believe, a new Christianity in America. It is a gospel that conflicts the Bible and, tr- and the true gospel. The new Christianity is so with the belief of entitlement in making ourselves feel better. It has nothing to do with the cost Jesus is talking about in our passage this morning. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me. But it's all about what you can gain now. This new American Christianity, which I don't believe is very new, it caters to all about making yourself happy and to not offend anyone by anything the Bible might say. It is about making yourself feel good because American culture says we are worthy of what we want and deserve it, so let us preach that song and increase our attendance. We cannot let this demonic thinking leak into our hearts, believing the Christian life is about us or the path our church family must take. 
A lot of this stems from the belief that we need to accept Jesus into our hearts. As Paul Washer so eloquently said, Jesus doesn't need our acceptance. We need him to accept us. This American Christianity, my concern is, brothers and sisters, it is a me-centered Christianity. It is not Christianity at all. It is from the pit of hell. This is not the call of a true disciple to, to find what is best for you now. Jesus is calling his followers to live a life of self-denial rather than self-indulgence. There's self-gratification. Jesus is calling us to deny ourselves of our time, our talent, and our treasures. Denying ourselves is a life decision that happens minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, month by month, year by year, until Jesus calls us home to glory. We encounter decisions daily to fight against the culture that says, pleasure yourself and you will be satisfied. Make a name for yourself and you will be remembered. The call of self-denial is not just a missionary's commitment. It's not. If you think that the job that you work in right now doesn't call you to deny yourself, you have been fooled. Don't tell me you don't know people through your work who do not know Jesus. Don't tell me the neighborhood God has placed you in. There are not people who do not know, that, that there are people that do not know Jesus. They're, they're, everybody around us are in desperate need for us to live a life that is a missionary's commitment. We celebrate, we applaud those people who go and live in other countries. He's not speaking to elitists here. He is speaking to teenagers and people who are making sexual offerings to a goat man. How foolish are we? The call of self-denial is most important. The simple moments and decisions we encounter daily that are never seen or talked about in Christian publication, a tweet or a blog or as examples in a Sunday sermon. So let me give you a few. These are simple decisions of denying yourself, but are defining moments, I believe, for that person and those that they are called to lead. The husband or father who chose to give a promotion, give up a promotion word because they don't want to lose time with their wife and children. The family who faithfully and tirelessly denies themselves comfortable, easy relationships to re build redemptive, gospel-centered relationships with their atheist, agnostic, or Muslim neighbors with the hopes of seeing them come to saving faith in Christ. A couple taking their paid vacation to go on a mission trip rather than an excursion to a tropical island. The mother who tirelessly cares for her children and sacrifices everything in hopes of them gaining all the tools needed to thrive. A grandmother who is diagnosed with cancer, though broken, joyfully building gospel-centered relationships with their nurses and doctors while they wait and absorb the physical beatdown of their treatments. We are closest to Christ when we deny ourselves most. 
We are closest to Christ when we join in Christ's pursuit of selflessness and sacrifice. Why? Because that is Christ's character. That is Jesus' character. And he's invited us into him. The life of denial for the follower of Jesus is not just for those we call the elite Christians who are having their heads chopped off in Syria. It is a calling for you and I. To be a follower of Jesus, you cannot escape the calling to live a life of self-denial. It is prescribed to you and I. We must acknowledge, brothers and sisters, we are not tempted to deny ourselves We are only encouraged to do the opposite. To indulge in our own sinful pleasures is second nature to us. It's what we do best. It's what wrecks my marriage at home the most is when I choose myself other than her or my two sweet boys. Jesus knew his disciples would only face increasing opposition to this call denying oneself. We will see later in Peter's life when he denies Jesus three times. He chooses personal safety over denying himself, picking up his cross and following Jesus. Jesus knew we would find and be offered immediate pleasure each day, day in and day out. If it's an easy choice, let me just give you a little word of wisdom here. If it's an easy choice, it's probably not the right choice. If it's the easy way out, it's probably not the path God has designed and called you to take. How much more did Jesus know the difficulties that would come for his disciples as sin, Satan, and death leaked more and more lies into the hearts of people and culture to promote self-indulgence, self-gratification, self-centeredness? How are we doing, church, and denying ourselves in the simple decisions in our life? How are we doing in our time? Spending time with our spouses and children to treasure them and show them how important they are to us rather than cheating on them with social media, web searching, television, or long hours at the office? I'll go admit, guys, that one's for me. That one's for me. How are we doing with our talent? Taking the gifts we have been given and using them to serve and care for others in a way that restores a person's dignity, value, and opportunity to hear the gospel rather than using your talents for your own self-indulgence and financial gain? How are we doing, church? How are we doing with our treasures? Spending our money to expand God's kingdom to get the gospel to the nations and caring for the needs of others rather than increasing our portfolio and our material wealth? How are we doing, church? These people that we love to celebrate in the Christian culture who are doing these incredible things for the kingdom. Listen, they didn't just go from baby infant to all of a sudden spending their life in a foreign country. They faithfully walked with Jesus and focused on the daily simple decisions and the calling to deny themselves so that God was preparing them for an even greater work. Jesus then says, take up your cross. 
He calls, this is the second thing God calls us to do in being a disciple of Christ, is to take up the cross, our cross. This is something his disciples would have gasped at. They would have literally said, what? The cross is the most painful, long-suffering way of punishment to this day. It has been recorded early as 2014 that Syrian Islamic extremists were beginning to crucify people. Be careful what you Google. Because some of the images that I saw were beyond deafening. For centuries, it has been recognized as the most gruesome form of torture. For the disciples and the crowds, they understood culturally what Jesus was telling a follower they must do. Listen, a criminal facing persecution would have to carry his cross through the crowds as they were ridiculed, spat upon, shamed, hit, and watched by the onlookers as they were walking to their impending death. They didn't get a last phone call. They didn't get their last favorite meal. I'm not trying to start a debate on how you feel on the death penalty. But what it is today looks a lot better than this. Why would Jesus prescribe this form of denial of self and then use something so gruesome as the cross to describe what true discipleship must look like? Jesus knew the world would hate him and ultimately hate his disciples. Jesus is using the cross not just to figuratively uh, describe what it meant to pick up your cross, but to literally pick up your cross. To be a disciple, you must deny yourself the things of this world and take up your cross and take that walk in front of everyone daily. What is the cross that Jesus is asking us to carry? It is to endure the suffering, the trials and tribulations of this life. It is receiving the persecution of living, preaching, and allowing your life to be a reflection of Jesus, his character and nature, to those who are in opposition to him. Who's in opposition to us? Your neighbors, your coworkers, your bosses, your family members, your spouses, your children's waiters, cashiers, your mechanic, doctors, classmates, your enemies, your child's teachers, principals, your tax accountant. I don't know. You know who those people are. You name it. That is who Jesus wants you to show who your king is. To not hide him under a blanket. Here is what concerns me most about this call. We have no idea what he's talking about. We are rewarded and praised and clapped for when we are baptized. Go to anywhere else in the world. No one's clapping. No one's clapping for a new believer's baptism. There might be a few, but there ain't no cheddars after baptism. Because other believers watching know they could be preparing their funeral very soon after. Or they know they're about to become unemployed or lose their business. 
because they're going to be ostracized for being a follower of Jesus and no one's going to shop and buy their stuff anymore. When a person becomes a follower of Jesus, we tell them not to live such crazy and wild lives anymore. We focus more on preservation and safety rather than teaching our children how to lose their life for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. We get hung up on living close to our comforts and security rather than denying ourselves of these worldly pleasures of comfort and security. I believe our prayers define I believe our prayers define our beliefs about our cost of discipleship. How do we pray? We do this all the time. We pray, Lord Jesus, protect us. Watch over us. We say things like, Lord, we'll put a hedge of protection over this van as we're traveling down the interstate. Is this prayer wrong? I, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't want anything... To, ever happened to Bethany and the boys, but if they're going to be true followers of Christ, I should pray they are not deceived by American Christianity and just play it safe. I should pray, Lord, prepare them for the cost. Prepare them for the denial each day when they rise. Lord, prepare my son as he goes to school each day and he's going to talk to that little kindergartner said, who, says, who says, God is dead. And then he has, needs to have the strength from you, Lord, to pronounce Jesus is alive. He is not dead. God is not dead. My kid's six. He's already dealing with this stuff. Our prayer life should change. It should not be, Lord, protect us. Lord, it should be prepare us. Prepare us. Maybe we should be praying, Lord, help me not be comfortable. Don't let me get comfortable Lord, give me the courage to take risks for you. Lord, let me pronounce my joy in my suffering rather than crying for my suffering to be removed so I may be safe. Lord, when I'm suffering for you is when I'm safest, I believe. Because when, I, when we are suffering, I know I'm closest to his sacrifice for me. Here's what Jesus knew. He would be crushed and killed by men and his followers wouldn't be very far behind him with the same impending death. My concern, church, is that we are thankful for Jesus' death but we want to get as far away from that life of picking up our cross. Luke 6.22. If you're struggling with this this morning, you are blessed when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Mark 13, 13, talking about signs at the end of the age. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. If the world hates you, you know it's hated me first. It hated you. If you, were of the, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world... 
but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the world that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. You want to see where the gospel's at work the most and the church is growing the fastest? It is where persecution is most prevalent. That is what concerns me. Not only do we not acknowledge daily to pick up our, to deny ourselves and pick up our cross, we have a culture that is, that we're not fighting against with. I remember the ridicule I went through in high school when I was 17 when I professed Christ as my king and admitted I was not created for myself. But for a purpose to serve Christ Jesus our Lord, who had saved me and ransomed me by his blood and conquered my sin, so heinous to God at the grave. I remember, I vividly remember walking down uh, my junior uh, year hallway and people looking at me and saying, well, there's the church boy now, right? I was like, what? Like, what, what's happening I remember the, the, the relationships, you know, hey, they began to change. But I also remember men like my father, Mark Phillips, and Jeff Carlisle, who taught me so faithfully with their words and deeds to die to myself. I wasn't beat up, I wasn't stabbed, my tires weren't slashed, I'm old truck that had a train horn on it. Lord rest its soul, right? But the level of shame I went through at 17 years old as a fresh new believer, that was a big deal for me. But it was because of men who came generations and generations and generations after Jesus walked and they pronounced those words and indeed to deny myself, to daily pick up my cross and follow Jesus. It was watching these men that modeled to me so well to not get lost in the things of this world. Do you have someone in your life that's pressing into you like that? They're not fun conversations. They're not. They're not easy conversations. But if we are not spurring one, ano one another in this way, I believe we're not truly acknowledging Jesus' teachings here. The world hates our Jesus and hates the church. Satan wants to use the world to silence us. But it is clear church the gates of hell will not prevail we are called to take up our cross daily because we are at war 
That's what's going on here. Listen to Ephesians 6.12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Church family, everyone wants the crown, but no one wants to bear their cross. No one wants that kind of pain. But to truly know and walk with Jesus, you must see that we must embrace and follow the path he took of sacrifice. Our lives are to be a reflection of his, and he willingly picked up his cross to bear our sin. See, the joy of picking up our cross each day is knowing that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. We carry a cross knowing that we win in the end. The battle's already won. The war was over at the empty tomb. Satan is still after you. He's still after your soul. But we rest in this confidence that Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. That the war has been won. We know the end of this story. So now we walk in denying ourselves of the pleasure of this world. We pick up our cross, willing to die for his namesake. We follow him until the day he returns. Church, our pain is only momentary. It is not eternal. But for those who do not deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow Jesus, you gain a little in this world, but face eternal pain and loss in hell. For those who do not deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow Jesus, you gain a little in this world, but face eternal pain and loss in hell. Three things to think about this. Are you willing to die? Remember, there is no crown with no cross. Secondly, are we making decisions in our lives that is costing us anything? There is no Mayberry in the Christian life. There is only a battlefield. Thirdly, if there seems to be little cost in our lives, then we need to put our lives in a position that reminds us every day of the cost. If there is very little cost, if we're living this very simple, easy life as a Christian, we need to put our lives in a position that reminds us every day of the cost. I don't know what that looks for you. But I'm pretty sure it has something to do with denying of yourself the pleasures of this world. To acknowledge that it's not about you. He then says, follow me. I believe this is the toughest part of all. Because you can't truly follow him and be his disciple until you deny yourself and pick up the cross. Daily. Let me give you some examples. When you face that situation with your boss or spouse who has done you wrong, do you follow Jesus or do you commit murder in your heart by staying angry at them? When you see that person who is attractive physically or emotionally, do you bounce your eyes or thoughts and follow Jesus or do you commit adultery in your heart by lusting after them? When you and your spouse have come to crossroads in your marriage and see there is no other uh, way but divorce, do you follow Jesus and repent or do you give in to what the world says is culturally acceptable and divorce them? When a person does you wrong and says that nasty thing about you, do you follow Jesus or retaliate by venting about them on Facebook? 
When you face an enemy for your, from your past, do you follow Jesus or do you allow yourself to be controlled by anger and not show them the forgiveness you have been lavished upon by Christ Jesus our Lord? When you're faced with the need of someone else, do you follow Jesus and let that only be known to you and the Lord or do you use that as a tool to justify yourself before men? A.K.A. post your good deed on social media. I can go on and on and on because God's word goes on and on and on. But to my best recollection, that's only through chapter 5 of Matthew and one part of chapter 6. We are encountered with decisions every day to follow Jesus. But our love for following Jesus is ultimately determined by our willingness to deny ourselves the things of this world and pick up our cross and face a culture who hates our Christianity. Then Jesus goes into this great paradox. He says, Forever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Listen to the words of Paul as we look at verse 25. Paul says this to the church of Philippi in prison. He's in prison. He says, indeed, Philippians 3.8, I count everything at loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. We don't have time to go into the life of Paul. But before, but before he said that, he had previously spouted all of his worldly and religious accolades. He wasn't in, it wasn't until his eyes were opened to the truth that his acceptance before God was not determined by anything he had done, rather than by what Christ did through his death, burial, and resurrection to pay the ransom for Paul's soul. Simply put, Man can go for it now and lose it forever. He can forsake it all now and gain it all at the end. Matthew 13, 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Have you heard this message of salvation? Have you believed it to be true in your mind but not in your heart? Until it is believed in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead and confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you will not have truly encountered a heart change. Have you let the thorns of this world choke the word out from your soul to where it actually never took root and you're pursuing this world trying to gain everything to satisfy the emptiness that only Jesus can satisfy? Losing your life in Christ will allow you to find your life in him. Praise Jesus. Jesus is telling them, I'm going to die and be raised to walk again and go to prepare a place for you, but to walk and know me, you must accept the path of death to this world so you may gain your life in me. When you pronounce your death to this world, you gain your life for eternity with me. Brothers and sisters, the world is not enough. This world is not our home. This world will not satisfy us. It will only leave you and I empty and unfulfilled. How do we prove that? Because when your heart is not set on the things of God, you just keep going back to the things of this world and it just doesn't seem to satisfy you. This world does not give you and I the comfort we need in a world that says we can gain everything. 
This world deceives. The things we can gain in this world only disappoints us. We must show each other and non-believers what it means to live lives of sacrifice as Jesus so perfectly showed us what a life of sacrifice looks like. Let Mission Church not be known for becoming a large church that plays good music on Sunday, has great preaching, and then we come back and do it again the next week, and nothing ever changes in us or in those in our city through us. My prayer, and I believe it is, should be and is the prayer of, 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 of many of us here, is that Mission Church and all churches in our city are known as the people who gather together to encourage one another as we prepare to lose our lives daily for Christ's sake so we may find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Man can gain the world but die a miserable poor death and he can lose his life for Christ's sake and he will find it which empowers you, brothers and sisters, to live a life willing to forfeit everything to gain the riches of heaven. But we know not everybody chooses that. The rich young ruler came up to Jesus. What deed must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, why do you ask me what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, Keep the commandments. He said, which ones? Jesus spouts out a bunch of them. All these I've kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said, if you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Listen to the most deafening words next. The young man heard this. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He had great possessions. He loved the possessions more than possessing Christ. There are three implications that drive the confidence of a disciple. It's when we were singing the song that just was recently sung about the joy of knowing that Christ is going to return. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. To be a true disciple of Christ, he gives these three pronouncements. Jesus is going to return with his angels of, in the glory of his Father. Did you hear that? He's going to come. He's going to come. He's going to return. These afflictions that we're facing are only momentary. He's going to come. He is going to call his true disciples Romans 2, 5, 8. But because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. 
but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey in righteousness, there will be wrath and fury. I'm reminded to a sermon I preached back uh, during Advent. Is this, Jesus is holding back his judgment. He is holding back his judgment. He is calling believers to go to the nations to not measure your standard by what you can do for the kingdom, but measure your standard by what Christ has done for you through his perfect sacrifice, which empowers us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow him and live with the hope of knowing that Christ is going to return. Secondly, he will repay each person according to what he has done. Listen, this can be confusing. I can simply say it this. It is not that works save you, but works are the products of our salvation. James 2, what is it? What good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also, also faith apart from works is dead. Works and deeds is an overflow of joy of knowing Christ. So when Christ returns, he's not going to pull out a scroll and see if the pendulum that he recorded on an Excel spreadsheet is going to be outweighed, your bad deeds are going to be outweighed by your good deeds. He is saying that, that your faith is equated by these, by the works that you truly are doing your works out of joy, not out of duty. Lastly, some standing here will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. I'm not going to go into that. Justin has offered to preach that text next Sunday. But I believe the study of God's word, that it leads Jesus immediately into the transfiguration. Listen to the hope of what happens a hundred years later in Caesarea Philippi. It was 90% Christian a hundred years later. 90% Christian. Some of you in our lives 
are struggling with this. Listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about the cost of discipleship. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. To die to yourself. To die to the pleasures of this world. And to live for Christ. So are you living for Christ? Have you died to yourself? Have you denied yourself of the things of this world? It is not a one-time thing. It is a daily thing that you and I must encourage and hold each other accountable to comfort one another when we fall on our face in misery, misery and failure. But we help one another and point each other to the cross and say that the battle is not over, but Christ is gonna return. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for uh, the preaching of your word. We thank you, Lord, of how um, this word has challenged me this morning and how it has drawn me to a point of, Lord, deep levels of brokenness, but also deep levels of hope. Lord, knowing that that we are conflicted by the things of this world and we are, we are tempted to follow the things of this world, but Lord, we are comforted in knowing, Lord Jesus, that you complete all good work in the end. And Lord, that you've invited my small, minute story that you'll never read about in books. You'll never see things tweeted about. But Lord, you are making my story carry great value because you have chosen to weave it into your grand story that you've invited me into the story of denying myself of picking up my cross and following you lord jesus i pray that this word spurs us on to not frantically figure out what we need to fix lord but to steady the course to go forward with your mission to not be concerned what other people might think or say about us, but we pursue you because ultimately it is all about you. Let joy, that, that, that when we deny ourselves, we become and find greater joy in you. That it only prepares us for your return. that only equips us better to go to our neighbors, to our brothers, our sisters, to our co-workers, to our city, to the nations and proclaim you that Christ is Lord. He is risen. And he is holding back his judgment so you may hear this truth. And so you may repent and be saved. Lord, may we not become a comfortable church family. May we not define who we are by a place that we go, but may we be defined by who you are and where you have called us to go. So Lord, I pray as we suffer together, when we face hardship, when we face death, that we may not be surprised by it, but be thankful for it. Because it is all a part of your plan of making all things new.
So hear the cries of your people, Lord. Hear the cry of my heart. Lord, that we need you. Every hour, we need you. We desperately need you, Father. So come. Call us. Strengthen us so that we may better deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.